Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. I'm your host, Brian Nichols. The Brian Nichols Show is the latest show on a part of the We Are Libertarians Network. Uh, sure, yeah, we're going to have a libertarian bias, but we are for anyone and everyone across the political spectrum. And the main goal is to, number one, educate, number two, enlighten, and number three, inform. As always, you can follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Liberty, and please feel free to subscribe on our Patreon to help us keep producing the content you enjoy here at The Brian Nichols Show at Liberty. And as always, please feel free to share today's podcast with your family and friends, uh, and go ahead and write and review us on iTunes. And uh, today we're going to continue uh, with the uh, series we've been doing as of late, uh, bringing on guests to discuss various issues, and, and with the uh, issue that's been in our, our midst here the past month and a half or so, I guess two months almost, um, with uh, the, the gun control debate after the Parkland shooting in February, um, I thought it would be a really great opportunity to to reach out to someone I would consider to be a, uh, a gun rights uh, expert. Um, you can find him on uh, the Washington Free Beacon. I'm joined today by Stephen Katowski. He is a staff writer at the Washington Free Beacon, um, who has spent uh, in the past four years at the Media Research Center. Um, you can follow him on Twitter at Stephen Katowski, or uh, feel free to check him out on uh, thefreebeacon.com forward slash author forward slash Stephen Gatowski. Steven, thanks so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And the reason I want to have you on, Steven, and uh, just to kind of give my my audience a little bit of a perspective, is I was uh, going through Twitter uh, one night back after the shooting that happened there in Parkland, and um, I, I noticed that there was a lot of misinformation being spread across all forms of, uh, I guess, all forms of the argument. And you know, both those on the left and those on the right, pro-gun uh, pro control, uh, pro-gun rights. And then uh, I came across your timeline in particular. And you, I, I think you gave easily one of the most valuable and important resources for both sides of the argument to get the facts straight. Um, and it was in a, a Google Doc that you went ahead and you compiled yourself uh, with just about 20 or so slides that go through and reports uh, reports really the, the facts around common gun issues. Um, and I think that right now is so important in today's uh, political discourse as it pertains to this gun rights versus gun control issue. Um, so with that being said, could you kind of give me your reasoning behind you you yourself wanting to compile this information um for those you know not only in the the thick of the policy debate but those in the media to go ahead and have as a resource yeah sure i mean uh you know i'll give you a little bit of my background uh in that i'm a certified firearms instructor as well as uh one of the only people who's uh, covers the gun beat as a actual beat in media um, you know, as a regular uh, a beat that you know where I where I do coverage on a daily basis, and so um, you know I was, I was trying to take some of the knowledge that I've uh, gained over the years from from those things and and uh, put them together in a way that's easy to digest for people, especially for media uh, folks, because you know there's just so much uh, misinformation out there, uh, and it, it's just a lot easier to to uh, inform your audience if you're informed in the first place, right? So uh, that that was really my main goal with with putting that document together. Is uh, you know it grew out of um, this uh, class that I hold for members of the Free Beacon, 
um, where I uh, teach them uh, the NRA basic pistol course. Um, and then, you know, I, I, we did that as sort of a perk to, for Free Beacon employees to be able to learn gun safety. Um, and then, you know, the course itself doesn't teach much about what you actually come across when you're reporting on guns from a, in a daily basis. Uh, you know, it doesn't teach you a lot about uh, the various federal firearms laws, what they say now, what the controversies are, all that. And so, you know, I came up with a, 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 an extra lesson um, on top of what was already in the class um, that was more relevant to the reporters I was teaching. And, and then from there, I figured I should share that information with everyone else. I like it because I think one of the things that really has me, um, you know, want, may, the main reason I reached out to you specifically is because I really feel that what you're bringing to the table, it's so valuable because there is so much misinformation. And I think a lot of the misinformation is truly due um, to a, a position of ignorance, if you will. Um, I mean, I, I live here in the, uh, the greater Philadelphia area and I, I work over in New Jersey and a lot of my coworkers who, who themselves have grown up in the Philadelphia area and, you know, they've never, they've never really experienced life outside of this urban feel. They are completely ignorant, um, to the world of firearms. Um, they have never really handled a firearm in their lives. They've never had members of their family who have handled firearms. So they've never grown up in a household where there was not only you know, guns around, but then also with that being said, uh, growing up and learning to appreciate, but also respect, um, you know, the, the fact that we have these, these guns in our houses. And the reason we have guns, um, not only for, for self-preservation and to protect our families, but also in the event that, you know, God forbid we had to defend ourselves against the tyrannical government, that that's the reason we have these weapons. So, I mean, have you experienced, I know you, you yourself, you're a Philly guy. Have you experienced that? Um, and, and if, if so, what pushed you from being a guy here in the urban Philly area to, you know, go out on your own, become a, a national, uh, rifle association, firearms instructor, and really take this mantle of educating individuals about gun rights, um, you know, what was the main catalyst for you? Uh, you know, I think that, that a lot of what you were just saying is, is I grew up, uh, I grew up in Chester County. I'm actually headed there right now to go for my mom, but, uh, uh, at her farm. But, um, yeah, I never fired a gun until after I was out of college, uh, which might sound strange to people because, you know, um, if anyone knows who I am at this point, they probably associate me, associate me uh, with firearms. But, um, yeah, I actually never fired a gun until I was out of school. It was at the Brent Bosell's Mountain House. Uh, it was the first time I ever <laughs> shot a gun. And from there, I just, uh, you know, I, it was fun. You know, I, I had a lot of fear of, of guns, mainly of recoil. Uh, you know, I just had this idea that it would be very painful to shoot a gun. I don't know that how that got ingrained in me but it did uh and once sort of i learned that that wasn't really how how, how guns work um <laughs> you know it was actually enjoyable like i you know my first time shooting was we did and um and it was fun to hit the then from there i you know it became a hobby of mine uh you know i started buying my own guns and you know once you buy a gun for at least for some people 
you sort of uh, never stop, right? It becomes uh, something that you you want more and more and more of them. It's like the tattoo uh, it's, almost. It's the saying is, yeah, sure. It's like <laughs> a lot of things, right? I mean, uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of a lot of hobbies that you can get really in, ingrained in out there, but guns is certainly one of them. Uh, you know, the old saying, I guess, is that if someone asks you how many guns you have, uh, you know, the, the answer is you know, more than I need, but not as many as I want. <laughs> uh, and I, I think that certainly applies to me. And so, um, from that, you know, just from becoming interested in it, um, uh, you know, I started to learn more about, uh, you know, firearms and firearms law and all that. And then when I moved to the Free Beacon uh, about three and a half years ago now, um, it just sort of became a natural fit for me to write uh, more about it, to report on it. Um, and so that's from there I started to learn even more uh, in regards to, uh, you know, firearm policy, firearm functions, you know, all the ins and outs of the, the national debate on firearm laws. Uh, and, uh, you know, I became an NRA certified instructor mainly because uh, I know some people probably think that sounds odd for a reporter to, to have a certification from the NRA, like, uh, I make you biased or whatever, but mainly I have that certification because the NRA is, they're kind of the only ones who certify instructors in the country. Um, and their certification, uh, their, their course uh, in basic pistol, which is the one I'm certified to teach, uh, qualifies you for the Virginia concealed carry license. And so when, when we spoke, you know, at the free weekend, when we decided to do, do gun training as a, as a sort of a perk of employment, um, you know, that was the one we went with because uh, we're located in Virginia. So it makes sense. Absolutely. So um, what I wanted to do really to, to utilize your time here, because I know your time is limited for the show. Um, I think one of the, the main reasons that we, we should really have this conversation, you and I, is to help people across the spectrum, especially those individuals who are more in the pro-gun control camp, um, to at the very least help them understand, even if they don't necessarily agree, but to at least understand where the the gun rights argument is coming from, and to you know, go ahead and try to give some some verifiably you know fact based evidence and arguments of why gun rights uh, proponents believe what they believe. So, with that being said, I just kind of wanted to to cover some of the common gun control arguments that are covered out here in in mainstream media and maybe get your your educated and insightful opinion as to what the truth is so the the first question that i see raised up or not really a question the first proclamation i see raised up from those uh in the gun control camp it almost always entirely has to deal with well you don't have a right to own a gun or you don't have a right to um you know have these quote-unquote weapons of war because you're not a militia. You're not in the Second Amendment saying a well-regulated militia. So what's your response to that argument? Sure. Well, you know, I think uh, I think that's an argument you hear from people um, sort of on the political level, right, uh, when you're debating gun rights. Um, but it's not as much one that you hear from the, on an academic level. There's something called the standard model, uh, which is basically what... Um, the Supreme Court uh, sided with in, in the Heller decision, uh, the landmark decision that said, uh, you know, the, the right to own firearms is, is uh, an individual right. Um, 
<clears throat> and and that idea is basically like if you if you actually read the text of the Second Amendment, right? It's uh, it says a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, uh, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. It's fairly clear what it's saying, right? If it just sort of read it, uh, um, because it clearly identifies who, what the right is, right? The right to keep and bear arms and who it's reserved to, right? The people. It doesn't say that the, the, uh, the state militia's right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. It doesn't say the state's rights to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. It says the people. And, and if you read the Bill of Rights, um, I think it's fairly clear throughout there that they, they demarcate who, who each individual right is reserved to, right? Uh, the press, the, uh, the, the people, the states, the, ho the homeowner. Um, you know, the, it's fairly clear if you just sort of, sort of read this um, for what the words say, right? Okay, so I and get me, don't get me wrong. I'm 100% on board. I just think it's good for people to, to hear it for someone who I can dare say, um, you know, in yourself that has the uh, the credentials, because the very least it gives you some authority to say it. Um, so one comment argument I hear, and actually I hear it a lot here in, in the greater Philadelphia area, is uh, well, come on, gun control laws just make sense. They're going to help reduce gun deaths. They're going to help reduce homicides. So, with that being said, what what's the what would you say the the real argument or the the gun rights argument is to the idea that gun control laws are going to help reduce gun deaths and reduce gun violence? Well, I mean, certainly that's a that's a one of the main debates that goes on when you're talking about uh, gun rights versus gun control in, in this country. Um, and you know, I don't have a definitive answer as far as which what some is is absolutely correct on that but um certainly you can look at uh statistics over the last uh 30 years or so right in the 90s we had um we had a peak in gun violence in the united states and gun murders uh, and the gun murder rate uh was at an all-time high then uh since then we've actually had a a remarkable decline in really all sorts of crime and violence in the United States um, and other countries have seen this as well. But, uh, but really I think the murder rate is something like half of what it used to be these days. Um, and mm -hmm. the gun murder rate is, is along those lines. Um, and at the same, you know, the gun rights position would be that, you know, you look at that um, and, and then you look at the gun ownership rate in the country, which has uh, seen a, a sizable increase in that same time period um, and obviously their conclusion is that uh, you know gun, gun control is not certainly isn't doesn't necessarily mean fewer gun crimes and more guns certainly doesn't necessarily mean more gun deaths um, there's a book by uh, John Lott to that effect uh, his, he, he goes even further and it's as that uh, the book's name is more guns, less crime. So, uh, you know, whether what the absolute truth is on all that is is certainly open for debate. But um, certainly, the you can everyone can go for themselves and look at the FBI's UCR, uh, the Uniform Crime Report, uh, and it'll you can clearly see what the murder uh, murder rate has done over the last uh, 25, 30 years, uh, in that it's massively decreased, um, and. You can also go to the ATF and look at their, 
from manufacturing reports for firearms. We don't have a perfect uh, number, a perfect uh, statistic for exactly how many firearms are in the United States because we don't have a, a gun registry, right? Of course. Thank goodness. Um, <laughs> which, which is right. Which gun rights supporters don't want a gun registry for very obvious reasons, I suppose. Um, but uh, the point is, like, it's uh, we don't know exactly how many guns there are but we the ftf does know how many guns are manufactured each year and we can have some idea of how many guns are sold each year by looking at the number of fbi background checks uh, through NICS, through the national Institute of criminal background check system and and certainly the numbers are quite large and are, have increased quite a lot uh over the last 25 30 years at the same time that crime has decreased so um certainly the gun rights position would be that that those two things are connected um, so one question that I've seen raised up uh, in the argument for those in favor of gun control as of late has been with regards to um, the proposal to eliminate high-capacity magazines. Now, um, even in my home state of New York, we saw the New York Safe Act, which I believe it reduced the number of uh, bullets in a magazine from, I think it was 9 to 7. Um, and, and this argument that's being promoted is that, well, it's because high-capacity magazines are often being the the magazines used in these mass shootings. You know, why does a why does somebody need to have a clip with you know thirty rounds, um, you know, in in one clip or one magazine at a time? So, what what's your response to that argument about the um, high capacity magazines? Right. This is a that's one of the most um most pr- uh, these days from uh, gun control supporters, uh, that's part of the platform that the uh, March for Our Lives uh, submitted to the public, right, um, to ban, ban high-capacity magazines and uh, in addition to assault weapons and other uh, few other things that they want. But <clears throat> the thing about high-capacity magazines is that it's a, that's probably one of the more malleable terms that exists out there, even more so than assault weapon. Um, or some of the other terms that get thrown around. Uh, because high, what does high capacity mean? Uh, I mean, if you look at it from a statutory standpoint, there's a there are a handful of states that have uh, bans on certain on magazines of certain sizes, right? Uh, like like you mentioned, New York's one of them. Um, you know, California, uh, Maryland. There's a there's a couple of them, but they don't agree on what exactly constitutes high capacity um right it, some of them they pick 15 rounds uh some of them they pick 10 rounds some of them they pick so you know it's it's really totally arbitrary uh term and uh i think from a gun rights standpoint from the if you if you if you talk to a gun rights supporter about you know high capacity magazines i think often they get made out to to in the media, uh, make it seem like they're talking about 30-round magazines and AR-15s and so forth. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> the reality is those kinds of bans in practice, whether it's 15 rounds or 10 rounds, they end up affecting a lot of standard-issue magazines, like, uh, you know, magazines that come with most firearms these days, uh, you know, because most full-size, uh, you know, modern handguns have a capacity of 17, 19, 20 rounds. So, 
when you're talking about these kinds of bands, you're, t- you're talking about something that's going to have a very large effect on um, the number of uh, uh, people who, who are uh, having their, their, uh, their magazines either taken away or you can't buy them in the future, um, depending on which state and what their law is. So, you know, there's probably a much larger effect there than people imagine when they hear the idea of banning high-capacity magazines. So um, one question I also hear quite a bit, and it it does kind of go part and parcel with regards to um, the high-capacity magazines. And this really, this became a very prevalent argument, especially after uh, the the February shooting there in Parkland, Florida, um, where... We have the shooter, um, whose name I don't like to use on any show, um, just because I don't think they deserve the recognition, but uh, the shooter used an AR-15 style rifle. And I I hear a lot of people, especially those in the the gun control argument, saying, well, nobody needs an AR-15 rifle. Uh, You know, nobody needs to have a, what they call a military assault rifle uh, or assault assault style rifle. Um, So what's your response to the argument that you know, no citizen needs to have an AR-15 or military assault rifle style weapon. Right. Uh, um, that's, of course, that's always like a matter of, of opinion, right? It's like, what, what does need, need mean? <laughs> it's like exactly. the Big Lebowski, like, oh, um, that's just your I, opinion, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, more or less, right? It's uh, the idea of, uh, well, what do you, what do you need? Um, is sort of a, the question that everyone has to answer for themselves, right, as far as that goes. But I will say that, um, you know, when you're talking about teens, this is another area where, where like, uh, I think the, the media perception is that these are small, relatively minor um, hindrances on people's, like, Second Amendment rights. If, oh, we'll just ban some, some of these magazines and some of these rifles, and that's really not a big deal, right? Because there's just it's just these few things that we're going after. But in reality, uh, a lot a lot like with high capacity magazines and how those play out in practice, assault weapons bans, um, <clears throat> which uh, which obviously always affect the AR-15, um, that goes after the mo- literally the most popular rifle in the country. The AR-15 is by far the most popular rifle in the United States, and has been for years, if not decades, at this point. Um, you know, uh, we had an assault weapons ban, of course, in uh, from 1994 to 2004, um, <clears throat> and after that lapsed, basically everyone started buying them, and there's probably, God, there's tens of millions of them in the country right now now uh, and so you know they're extremely popular rifles and so you go around talking about well we'll just ban these rifles that's just a small subset of rifles not a big deal uh it really is a big deal because it it, affect, it would affect so many people in the united states that it's a massive policy and i don't think it gets i don't think it gets the kind of coverage that you would expect for something like that it would be kind of like banning the F-150, right? <laughs> uh, we'll just ban F-150s and and trucks that are like the F-150, and that's just a small number of, uh, you know, 
the overall uh, models available on the market. But in reality, the F-150 is the most popular truck. It's the most popular car in the country. So if you went to ban that, it would be a huge deal. So it's the same thing with an AR-15. And then, you know, of course, uh, there's all kinds of debates and opinions and arguments about, you know, well, why do people need the AR-15, like you mentioned? And it's, you know, certainly people use them for all sorts of things. They're extremely versatile rifles. So, uh, like, I use mine for home defense. Uh, and I think it's a common gun for home defense. It's well-suited to home defense um, because it's, uh, it's a fairly maneuverable rifle with, uh, which can be um, outfitted with accessories that give it, uh, you know, a good, a good capacity of uh, for ammunition. Uh, you can put lights on it, lasers, all sorts of modifications. You can make it very light, uh, and then it's also great for, uh, you know, competition shooting, uh, target shoot, all sorts of things. Uh, you can even use it for hunting. Um, it's not quite powerful enough for like deer hunting. Most states would require a more uh, around that has has more uh, um, mass to it than a two two three round, which is what the AR fifteen takes. So um, you know, but you can use it for for varmint hunting, for like coyotes, things like that, smaller game, and people do that. So I mean, it's it's certainly a, a rifle that that has a lot of uses. Uh, whether or not that equals need is up to each individual to decide for themselves, I suppose. And I think that's a really good point you made because there's this notion um, that an AR-15 is just like this this absolutely monstrosity of a weapon that it just tears people apart and it's gonna, you know, it's it could take down a polar bear. Like, it, it's just, it's not the reality. And you just mentioned how there's actually laws in the books that require hunters to use even higher caliber um, forms of, of ammunition when they're hunting, you know, the likes of deer or these, these medium to larger game animals. So I think that's a very good yeah. point. I mean, you know, certainly, uh, you know, people get into this debate about what uh, there was, there was like a, an article after Parkland about how, you know, getting shot with an AR-15 is so much worse than uh, getting shot with a handgun or what. And it's like, certainly by saying that, um, you know, a lot of states require a higher caliber rifle for hunting. That doesn't mean that the AR-15 is not a uh, a gun that can inflict, you know, a lot of damage if you get shot with it. But to me, it's like, yeah, I wouldn't want to get shot with any gun. You know, sometimes people right. make it out to be like, oh, well, like uh, the YouTube shooter. I saw someone saying, uh, you know, this is just a random Twitter person, so it's not, hopefully not a representative position. But but they were like, oh, you know, this is was better because... She, the shooter didn't have an AR-15. They only had a handgun. It's like, well, I wouldn't want to get shot with a handgun either. Like the people act like it's, like it's a toy, just because it's not a rifle. It's like, okay. uh, who was the? It was the yeah. MSNBC host who, like, he was he was comparing the the traveling speed of the AR-15 uh, AR-15's bullet versus yeah. a traditional handgun. It's like at what at that point? I mean, not to to quote Hillary Clinton, but at that point. What difference does it really make? I mean, you're you don't want to get shot at by anything, um, but the argument yeah. about the speed—it's—it's it's so yeah. nonsensical. Yeah, they're trying to say that you couldn't. The idea there was that you couldn't possibly defend yourself with a handgun if someone's shooting you with an AR-15, which is uh, both in theory and in practice complete nonsense. Um, you know, that was a common theme on MSNBC after the Parkland shooting for a while. Um, 
because obviously there was this 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 came up because there was uh, you know a, a police officer on campus during the shooting who didn't do anything, and they sort of were trying to excuse him by saying, well, you know, he only had a handgun, so he couldn't possibly have uh, taken this this kid with the AR-15, and it's like that's utter nonsense. The <laughs> um, and then it's also just like that it's people have done that before in real life like you don't have to it's not just theory like you can and the was able to shoot both of them and stop from harming anyone uh he was using a handgun um, you could look at uh, even the Alexandria shooting um, of Steve Scalise and the other Republican congressman. That guy, the, the uh, assailant, was using uh, an SKS, which is a rifle, um, similar to an AK-47. And uh, the police who shot him and stopped him were using handguns. So, I mean, the idea that it's a, it's impossible to defend yourself with a handgun if your assailant has, has a rifle is just not reality. I mean, rifles are have advantages uh in certain situations and handguns have certain advantages in other situations but uh certainly the idea that you could never stop somebody with a rifle if you have a handgun is is just not true <laughs> very succinct and um i know we're running short on time here so uh final question for you steven so i uh, i do get this argument quite a bit uh as well and that's basically saying well you know the times change i think actually Alyssa milano did this tweet um, we're saying all the different things that were also legal at the time the Second Amendment was written. Um, and it was like, you know, talking about the three-fifths compromise, slavery, etc. Women couldn't vote, etc., um, etc. Et so the argument being that the Second Amendment, it's obsolete um, and, you know, it, it, it needs to be changed or even as as recently as Justice uh, John Paul Stevens, former Supreme Court Justice, saying that the amendment actually needs to be repealed. Um, so to that argument, we'll, we'll wrap it up here with that question. Um, you know, what's your response to the argument that either A, the amendment is obsolete, or B, it should actually be repealed in its entirety? Um, well, you know, uh, people can have whatever opinion they want on the Second Amendment, you know, uh, as far as relevant uh, today, uh, certainly from a gun rights perspective, uh, what you'll hear gun rights proponents say is, um, you know, that this argument also is true of every other part of the Bill of Rights, like the First Amendment, uh, freedom of speech, <laughs> uh, freedom of press, you know, uh, all sorts of, it's just really not, it's not very, it's not a very specific attack on the Second Amendment, really, um, because it's just sort of a generic attack on the Constitution as a whole, I suppose, um, because like, they're, they're saying that, well, this is not relevant anymore because it was written a long time ago. Well, the entire Bill of Rights was written at the same time. Um, so, uh, that argument, and they don't use it against all uh, I don't know. Um, and oh, I think we're losing you there, Stephen. You still there? All right, I think we may have lost Stephen. Uh, <laughs> I know when we were we were talking to him there, he was driving back from uh from uh 
work, I believe it was, up here to the greater Philadelphia area. Um, Stephen, if you can hear me, feel free to jump in. Um, but if not, I know Stephen's getting ready. He had a, a hard stop here in about five minutes or so. Um, so with that being said, you know, uh, you know, just to kind of fill Stephen's, uh, if Stephen's still there, you can hop in. Like, like I said, um, you know, I de- I, nope, sounds like he went away there. So, um, you know, Stephen Gutowski here from uh, the Free Beacon, uh, Washington Free Beacon, uh, definitely was having some issues there with the uh, the feed. Um, but you know, he was making a really great point there um, at the end with regards to uh, having issues um, being raised up by those in the left um, as it pertains to the Second Amendment being obsolete. Because the argument saying, well, you know, at that point in time with the the Second Amendment. Um, you know, we didn't have, uh, you know, we, we, we didn't have, sla- or we did have slavery, we didn't have the right to vote. Well, that same argument could then be logically applied to the, the First Amendment. Does, does the fact that the First Amendment was written at a time when there was slavery and when, you know, uh, African Americans were considered to be three-fifths of a person, um, does that mean that this, the value behind the First Amendment is somehow lesser? And, and you know, to what Stephen, I think the point he was getting at towards the end is, well, no, uh, quite obviously it does not mean that that argument behind the First Amendment is any less. Um, because at the end of the day, um, yes, you know, I see a lot of conservatives and liberals go through the argument that, well, you know, the Constitution is, it's a living, breathing document. And you know what? Um, a lot of conservatives say absolutely not. And to that I say, well, that's just not true because... Um, you know, it is leaving and breathing because we had in the, the framing of the constitution, the ability to make, uh, amendments for, uh, you know, the particular, uh, point in time that, uh, it was, you know, let's say for instance, slavery being repealed with the, uh, the, the 13th, 14th and 15th amendments and given the right to vote for African Americans. Um, you know, that was a, an opportunity to, allow the living and breathing constitution to live and breathe, to evolve um, you know, as it needed to evolve based on uh, the time frame. Um, so going forward, I, you know, in you know, with, with Stephen again, thank you again for Stephen joining uh, again. You can follow him on Twitter at Stephen Gutowski. Um, again, he is a uh, staff writer there at the free beacon. Um, and he is a NRA um, certified firearms instructor. Uh, and I'm also going to post in the show link, um, that Google Doc that he compiled as a, a resource for uh, gun, uh, common gun control questions and answers. And really, it's an educational tool um, that I would strongly recommend people to utilize. Uh, if you find yourself in, in you know, a, an argument on Facebook with your, your Uncle Joe or, you know, your Aunt Diane, whoever it may be, you know, go ahead, utilize this information. It ha- it's credibly sourced uh, through, you know, the FBI, the CDC, ATF, and the likes. Um, so, you know, if they, <laughs> they really want to argue about facts, let's go ahead, argue with facts. That's the best way to, uh, to go forward. Um, now, with that being said, uh, I did want to conclude today's episode uh, ex- actually explicitly talking about, um, you know, arguing with facts. And uh, this is an oldie but a goodie in terms of the article I found here. Uh, and it's actually shared back after the, the Las Vegas shooting, which happened in the, uh, the fall of 2017, just about uh, you know six seven months ago, at this point as we're being uh, aired today here on the uh, the fifth of April, and uh, is a uh, article written by uh, Leah Labresco of uh, the Washington Post, and the the title of the article is "I used to think gun control was the answer. My research told me otherwise." And I think this is a really important uh, article to be aware of, especially when you're talking um, if you are those on the gun rights side of the argument. 
it's an important article to have at your disposal to you know show that when you really dig past the emotional rhetoric, the evidence and the facts that exist that are you know they know no side they are agnostic of narrative they do support the position of being able to have an armed and uh the an armed populace with uh the right for self-preservation now to sort of leah she's um a uh, statistician or a stat statistician i believe that's how you pronounce that and a uh, former news writer at 538 uh she's the author of arriving at amen and her article goes, uh, Before I started researching gun deaths, gun control policy used to frustrate me. I wish the National Rifle Association would stop blocking common-sense gun control reforms, such as banning assault weapons, restricting silencers, shrinking magazine sizes, and all the other measures that could make guns less deadly. Many of those issues we actually just covered there with Stephen. Uh, then my colleagues and I at 538 spent three months analyzing all 33,000 lives ended by guns each year in the United States. And I wound up frustrated in a whole new way. We looked at the in, uh, interventions... I'm sorry, we looked at what interventions might have saved those people. And the case for the policies I lobbied for crumbled when I examined the evidence. The best ideas left standing were narrowly tailored interventions to protect subtypes of potential victims, not broad attempts to limit the lethality of guns. I researched, and strictly I researched the strictly tightened gun laws in Britain and Australia and concluded that, well, they didn't prove much about the, what American policy should be. Neither nation experienced drops in mass shootings or other gun-related crimes that could be attributed to the buybacks and bans. Mass shootings were too rare in Australia for their absence after the buyback program to be clear evidence of progress. And, in both Australia and Britain, the gun restrictions had the ambiguous effect on other gun-related crimes or deaths. When I looked at the other oft-praised policies, I found out that no gun owner walks into a store to quote-unquote buy an assault weapon. It's an invented classification that includes any semi-automatic that has two or more features, such as a bayonet mount, a rocket-propelled grenade launcher mount, which, good luck trying to actually buy that, a folding stock, or a pistol grip. But guns are modular, and any uh, hobbyist can easily add these features at home, just as if they were snapping together Legos. Also, uh, as I covered in uh, my podcast a few weeks ago, uh, the episode where I talked about um, the comparison between David Hogg and uh, Carrie Nation from the Prohibition Movement, uh, you know, how in today's technology that we have ready, readily available, it's, uh, it's quite easy for anyone, if they have a 3D printer, to not only uh, print these pieces that are being mentioned, like the, uh, the, the folding stock, the pistol grips, um, the quote-unquote gr propelled grenade launch, uh, launcher mount, um, but they can also print the whole gun if it really comes down to it. Uh, but continuing, as for silencers, they deserve the name only in movies. They deserve that name only in movies, where they reduce gunfire to a soft bing bing, which is my attempt, <laughs> cheesy attempt at making a uh, a sound effect for uh, what you hear in silencers, the bing bing. Um, but no, in real life, silencers limit hearing damage for shooters, but don't make gunfire uh, dangerously quiet. Uh, it's not like in Jason Bourne when he shoots a uh, a, uh, a silence a silence pistol. It's it's, it's more like the actual the, the noise, not the ping ping. Uh, ping ping's like I'm shooting a tin can, but it's like the 
noise. That's that's not real life. Uh, no, in, in real life, um, the gunfire is, is quite loud, even with a silencer. Um, and continuing, an AR-15 with a silencer is about as loud as a jackhammer. Just put that into perspective. Think about when you're in your office and you hear, you know, Comcast outside trying to uh, put in, you know, new uh, fiber circuits there to uh, your next door neighbor, and you hear the jackhammer. Well, just imagine that. But that's what you hear with regards to an AR-15 with a silencer on top. Also, magazine limits were a little more promising, but a practice shooter could still change magazines as fast as to make them or make that limit meaningless. Which, I mean, is obviously true no matter what. If, if I, I mean, here's the reality, and this is my soapbox again, is if you were to go and buy, let's say, 15 magazines, each one filled with 10 bullets, let's just say, anyone who has experienced shooting, um, you know, experienced shooting in their lives, and it, I would say average to above average in shooting, you can swap out magazines pretty easily, um, you know, and, and you know, pretty quickly, might I, might I add. So the argument saying that, well, nobody needs a 30-round magazine clip, okay, that's great to make in in theory, but when you look in reality, I mean, a 10-magazine clip versus a 30-magazine clip, there's no real substantial difference. I mean, it can happen very, very quickly in terms of switching out magazines, um, which, I mean, really, it, it does make the argument moot. Uh, continuing here with uh, with the piece, um, as my co-workers and I kept looking at the data, it seemed less and less clear that one broad gun control restriction could make a big difference. Two-thirds of gun deaths in the United States are suicides, which I think is a horrific stat, but it's an important stat to acknowledge in the 33,000 gun deaths that she talked about earlier, two-thirds, two-thirds are suicides. Um, continuing, almost no proposed restriction would make it uh, meaningful, meaningfully harder for people with guns on hand to use them. I'll repeat, almost no proposed restriction would make it meaningfully harder, harder for people with guns on hand to use them. I couldn't even answer my own desperate question. If I had a friend who had guns in his home and a history of suicide attempts, was there anything I could do that would help? Now, I will take a little you know break from that because there actually has been... Believe it or not, now, I'm not asking if you support the proposal or not, but just to know, there has been a proposal, and it was actually raised up by um, some of those on the right, uh, specifically David French over at the National Review, which would essentially be a temporary holding of firearms um, by a judge with a uh, sunshined period, so let's say 48 hours, uh, where if you are a family member or you're a friend um, and you see one of your you know, your friends or your family members who is going through a hard time, maybe they're, they just lost their job, and you fear for their life, and you know they have guns, you could actually do, it's it's essentially a temporary restraining order <clears throat> for that individual where the guns would be removed from their home, um, and by sunshine, I mean, you know, they the guns have to be returned within, let's say, 48 hours, and in that 48-hour time period, uh, a judge would have to hear a case that would then um, either validate the concerns of an individual uh who said you know hey john over here he he really needs some help i don't i don't think he's safe with weapons at home um you know i think he should be looked at and i think his gun should be taken away because i think he might be a danger to himself well that argument's made um then within 48 hours the the judge would have to hear that case have to see the evidence laid out John would have to have the chance to go ahead to 
uh, and face the the judge and say, you know, hey, no, it was a misunderstanding. Yeah, I lost my job, but it's because I, you know, I, I lost this big account, and you know, it's totally on me. I'm not mentally, you know, uh, unstable. Uh, it's 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 okay. You know, prove that he's not uh, at harm or a danger or a harm to himself or others. Uh, and if if within that 48-hour period the the case doesn't get here uh, heard by the judge then the guns would automatically go back to John as they were. Um, now, yes, I do see uh, a, an opportunity for abuse, and I'm not saying it's perfect, but just know that that argument exists, and it is out there, um, even as uh, recent now, or I guess is more soon, or soon after the Las Vegas shooting. Here we are. This proposal, I think, was relatively new. It came after the Parkland shooting. Um, so, you know, it, at the time of this article, it did... Uh, we did see a, a big change here in terms of actual proposals uh, coming even from those on the right. Uh, continuing, however, the next largest set of gun deaths, now this is important, one in five were young men aged 15 to 34 killed in homicides. These men were most likely to die at the hands of other young men, often related to gang loyalties or other street violence. And the last notable group of similar deaths was the 1,700 women murdered per year usually at the result of domestic violence. Far more people were killed in these ways than in mass shooting incidents, but few of the popularly floated policies were tailored to serve them. Um, you know, I, I think this argument is definitely made uh, from those on the right with regards to gun control saying, let's look at the reality. One in five of these deaths are gang shootings or, you know, they're, they're some other form of homicide. It's not... It's not a, a mass shooting. I mean, there was a study that was out um, that showed you were uh, more likely to die in your swimming pool uh, than a than a student. I'm sorry, it was a student was more likely to die in a swimming pool than dying in a mass shooting. Now, I've heard well that tell that statistic to a parent who lost a loved one at Parkland. You're right. You know what? I know it wouldn't it wouldn't help. But we if we're going to make policy, we can't make policy based on emotion. We have to make it on a sound logic and in this case statistics. If you are statistically not going to be shot by um, by, by someone uh, and you're more likely to get shot, or I'm sorry, more likely to drown in a swimming pool, I mean, that, that shows the, the, the policy itself. Let's have a ban on swimming pools. If, that's, if we're really talking about saving lives, if that's really the argument that we're going to make, then that would be a solution, right? But no, we're not going to make that argument because it's a silly argu argument to make because we all know it wouldn't actually solve anything. Continuing. Uh, by the time uh, we published our project, uh, being here at 538, I didn't believe in many of the interventions I'd heard politicians tout. I was still anti-gun, at least from the point of view of most gun, uh, gun owners, and I don't want a gun in my home, as I think the risk outweighs the benefits. But I can't endorse policies whose only selling point is that gun owners hate them. Policies that often seem as if they were drafted by people who have encountered guns only as a figure in a briefing book or an image on the news. Which Stephen and I just covered as being you know, one of the major issues is that, honestly, a lot of people in the pro-gun control camp, they've never experienced guns in their own personal lives. They either have never shot a gun or never even seen a gun in real life besides on a police officer um, or or. B, they, they grew up in a house where there were no guns. They never were taught the value or how to respect guns um, and don't understand the the reasoning behind, you know, having guns within your home for self-preservation and protecting your family and ultimately to defend yourself against a tyrannical government in the, the terrible event that that needs to happen. 
Uh, continuing here again, instead she found that most of uh, the most, in, uh, I'm sorry, I found the most hope in more narrowly tarled interventions, potential suicide victims, women menaced by their abusive partners and kids swept up in a street vendetta are all in danger from guns, but they each require different protections. Older men who make up the largest share of gun suicides need better access to people who could care for them and get them help. Women endangered by specific men need to be prioritized by police who can enforce restraining orders prohibiting these men from buying and owning guns. Younger men at risk of violence need to be identified before they take a life or lose theirs and to be connected to mentors who can help them de-escalate conflicts. Finally, even the most data-driven practices such as New Orleans plan to identify gang members for intervention based on previous arrests and weaponized, uh, weapon seizures all wind up personal, uh, more personal than most policies floated. The young men at risk can be identified by an algorithm, but they have to be disarmed one by one personally, not in mass, as though they were all interchangeable. A reduction in gun deaths is most likely to come from finding smaller chances for victories and expanding those solutions as much as possible. We save lives by focusing on a range of tactics to protect the different kinds of potential victims and reforming potential killers, not from sweeping bans focused on the guns themselves. Which, I mean, right there, I think that sums up the entire argument and the entire position, really, from uh, those in the gun rights camp, is that you cannot, you, in any way, shape, or form, make this an argument about guns because at the end of the day it's not about guns it's about the person that's behind the gun um you know we it doesn't matter what the weapon is used um you know in in virginia tech it was uh, a shooter with with handguns um handguns are by far the most readily used guns in shootings um and most readily used guns in homicides uh the reality is that at the end of the day not only are AR-15s or rifles hardly used in shootings, um, but the fact is that mass shootings in general are, are extremely rare. And to take a statistical anomaly, uh, which, which truly, to be involved in a, in a mass shooting is a statistical anomaly in the United States. And then to make overarching policy that punishes law-abiding citizens and infringes upon their their second amendment rights it's barbaric and, and i'm sorry if you don't agree with that and i i understand i've had julian or i'm sorry not julian i had paul riley on um i got another friend named julian who we're gonna we're getting ready to have on as well who's a, a pro-gun control um advocate but back uh, i think it's episode four or five i believe uh we had paul on paul came on he gave his impassioned plea for gun control and he, you know he talked about what he believes is the main issue with gun control um and and why we're having these these shootings and i you know i i think we we came into that with pretty fervent beliefs in terms of uh what the issue is um and i think in in paul's mind he argued at the end of the day, we don't need those weapons. You don't need to have an AR-15. We need a, a better means of making sure these people can't get these weapons. We need to have better mental health screenings. Um, and that that's all well and good. But at the end of the day, you cannot make policy that punishes those um, you know, as, as David Hogg is trying to push. I mean, and, and yes, he's a kid. I get that. And I think, uh, you know, Charles Cook put it best in his National Review article that yeah, he's a kid, but it doesn't absolve him from criticism when he's entering the political arena and pushing for policy. That's like I said, it's gonna it's gonna really impact uh, very negatively at that. 
the rights of Americans um, who you know, they're, they're tacitly tossed into this large mass grouping of individuals um, and then blamed for the actions of a very, very statistical uh, minority of, of people who commit these atrocities. Um, at the end of the day, and I think this is something that those in the gun control movement need to realize, if you find yourself in the gun control movement um, and really advocating for those positions, chances are you, you politically find yourself on the uh, left side of things, which is fine. Um, but consider logically the argument that you're making. And I'm, I'm saying this truly trying to um, reach out and make some, some reasoned approach here so we can find some common ground. Because that, after all, is the goal of the Brian Nichols show. Um, when we have these these horrific terrorist attacks, and by and large, these terrorist attacks at the hands of those uh, who tend to be of the Muslim faith, the argument is made, we cannot blame the entire uh, religion of Islam for the actions of this one person. This one person who committed an atrocity, we can't blame... The, the millions and millions of other Muslims out there because they're not representative of this one person's actions. All right, well, that, 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 that's true. And I, I stand with you in that argument. That's a good argument to make. But if you're going to make that argument, then your logic needs to carry over to those Americans who they don't represent the, the one shooter. They don't, the, the millions of American gun owners, the millions of Americans in the NRA are not represented by a, a one lone shooter who does a, a terrible, terrible uh, atrocity. And if we're going to make this logical, um, you know, this logical progression, we need to keep it sound. Uh, and, and unfortunately I'm seeing both sides, both, you know, and vice versa, Republicans or, you know, pro gun uh, right individuals, conservatives making the, the counter argument. Well, you can't lump in, um, you know, all gun owners for the actions of one person, and but we are going to go ahead and blame Islam for for terrorism. That that argument is not sound. Um, it's it's logically incoherent. And at the end of the day, the the reality is that both arguments from you can't blame the mass for the actions of the few. That's what we need to really look at. That's where I think we can come together and say, okay. We'll, we'll take this as a, a, a concession point and let's build on that. Okay. Is it, is it going towards David French's proposal for taking weapons away from, uh, from an individual who's a, a danger to themselves or others, uh, for a short sunshined amount of time? Um, is it trying to, uh, help increase mental health access? Um, you know, is it having more, uh, more ability for individuals to, uh, have, I know people hate the argument, but to have more guns, um, to protect themselves, to get rid of the 1990s uh, gun-free uh, zone act. Um, the answer, I don't think we have a clear answer. And I think at the end of the day, we need to realize that there isn't going to be a crystal clear, this is the answer, aha moment. Um, you know, there's going to be no Moses coming down from the the, temp, the top of the mountain with the, the Ten Commandments, and this is the law. This is this is God's word because this is God's word. It's it's at the end of the day, there's no perfect answer, and at the end of the day, bad things are going to happen. And instead of again coming from someone on the pro gun rights uh, movement, at the end of the day, the best solution I see going forward is not to punish um, those 
on the uh, the the gun rights argument uh, side or side of the argument by taking away more rights, but rather trying to um, help educate, uh, to help increase the ability for individuals to access weapons, um, to defend themselves, both uh, you know for their self-preservation, but to protect their families, um, but ultimately to make sure that we're having an honest discussion based on sound logic and and factually verifiable evidence. Um, but with that being said, there we go. Ha! Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, for joining me today on the Brian Nichols Show. Hopefully, you, you found it engaging, enlightening, and informing. Um, you know, a special shout out again, once again, to uh, to Steve Katowski from the Free Beacon uh, for joining me today. Um, I know, unfortunately, we had some audio issues there towards the end of his interview, um, but you know, absolutely fantastic to have him on the show and to be able to really dig into uh, these issues through his. Um, I don't want to say his claim to authority, but you know the fact that he's an uh, NRA uh, certified firearms instructor. He's been studying this for years. Um, he's got the facts on his side. Like I said, the the Google Doc that he composed uh, for the common gun control arguments um, is going to be shared in the show notes, so be sure to check out that out. Um, but until next time, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for, uh, for joining me on uh, this week's of the Brian Nichols Show. As always, you can follow me on Twitter and at Facebook at B. Nichols Liberty, not Nicholas, Nichols, B. Nichols Liberty. Um, and please feel free to go and uh, subscribe to our Patreon and uh, click that donate button, top right hand corner. I don't want to ask for money, I don't want to ask for charity, but at the end of the day, we got we got to be able to have an ability to advertise the show to help reach new uh, new listeners and to help share this message of liberty. If you're finding what we're we're bringing on these guests and we're we're having these conversations, if you find that valuable, then help me out. Help out the show. Um, every bit that comes into the show will will go right back into the advertising, uh, right back into the the marketing and the outreach. Uh, so please, if you can, uh, feel free to go to Patreon, hit that donate button, um, become a monthly uh, subscriber for us on Patreon. Uh, and then what else you can do, please go to iTunes, uh, go ahead and review The Brian Nichols Show. You know, I, I love to hear your thoughts. Uh, and also, please hit that share button, share this episode to your friends and family. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, until next time, I'm going to be going over to uh, Detroit this weekend. I got a nice conference for Americans Future Foundation. If you are interested in advancing liberty within your local communities, please check out the AFF, America's Future Foundation. It's a great organization. Um, we're having our monthly conference here uh, to go ahead and, and battle plan for 2018 going into 2019 and how we can help spread liberty in our local communities. Um, I'm going to be the I'm the vice chair currently, chair next year. So if you're interested here in Philadelphia, give me a buzz. Otherwise, go ahead and check out uh, the American Futures Foundation to find your local chapter and your local uh, local leaders and become involved to help, again, spread the missions of liberty. Uh, but again, ladies and gentlemen, Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Thank you so much for joining us this week. And until next week, we'll see you then. <laughs>